Welcome to this week's sermon from the Willoughby United Methodist Church. All right, before you sit down, if you're, if you're a teacher, if you're a school aide worker, if you're, well, you, I guess you can go ahead and sit down, right? That doesn't make sense. Because I'm going to make you stand up if you're a teacher. That includes a Sunday school teacher, Paul and Lisa. Go ahead and stand. Um, uh, if, you're a, if you work in a school, if you support a school, if you have a student, if you are a student, I want you to stand. Anybody I left out? What's that? If, if you're a grandparent of a student, like if you're a praying grandparent of a student, how about that? Um, stand up. So today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be uh, praying for our students, our, our schools, our teachers, our volunteers, our Sunday school teachers, our leaders, all those that, that uh, have some part of uh, helping knowledge become a gift to those who are receiving it, like the students, right? So let's pray. A gracious and loving God, we would pray your anointing upon the hearts that, that have the gift to teach. We lift before you students that stand ready to receive your blessings as they commit themselves to study and learning in the school year ahead. We ask your blessing on each of them, and further, we ask that your blessing would be upon the resources that they, that they carry with them each day, the backpacks in particular, that they wouldn't become overwhelmed by the weight of what they carry, but cherish the knowledge that is within cover to cover. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless all those who, who seek to to learn, to love, and to grow uh, in your image. We pray for your care of this con congregation that surrounds them, uh, especially on Sunday and throughout the week. We thank you for the, the people that you have gifted with patience, especially those who work with uh, those that may have special needs or learning disabilities. What a gift that you have offered these servant hearts the ability to connect and, and think outside of the box and lovingly, patiently uh, help students to grow. And so we pray your blessing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your patience this morning. So, we're, uh, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be talking about the whole armor of God, starting at uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes these words, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the uh, heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you 
may be able to withstand on the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And with all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in the supplication for all the saints. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You try that? Okay. So, what Paul's writing about, he's writing about the fact that there's a cosmic conflict going on in the world and God is actually calling us, the church, to be a divine warrior. However, this com- cosmic conflict isn't won by a defiant beating of our chests. Instead, it's won when the church is purposefully humble, faithful to its mission, and steadfast as we become Jesus in the world. As we become Jesus to the world. When the church participates in the transformative process, it harnesses and radiates God's resurrection power, which has a transformational effect to outsiders. You want me to go to the pulpit so we don't... Yeah. If nothing else, I, I do this for the sake of uh, for my, my own sanity because if I feel like it's cutting in and out, then it's just going to drive me crazy, and you don't want to see your pastor, uh, like, freak out, right? Well, maybe you do. I don't know. So, all right. So when the church participates in this transformative process, it harnesses and radiates God's resurrection power, which has the transformational effect to outsiders, you know, the very people that God longs to save. Quite frankly, This is how the people of God transform their surrounding culture. In Ephesians 1.23, Paul says that the church is his body, Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. Did you get that? I mean, really, the presence of Jesus Christ fills the church by God's Spirit. So it literally means that we are the body of Jesus here on earth. Just as Jesus was the presence of God in human form, so the church is now the very presence of Jesus in the world. You with me? The church is the new temple. The church is the dwelling place of God on earth. And Paul acknowledges Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that the church and everything else about the church is, and I mean everything, is built upon that cornerstone, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2.20, Paul says that Christ, the church, as a building, says Christ becomes the church as a building. He says, is being caused to grow into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built upon into a dwelling place of God. Did you catch that? Let me, let me make it a little clearer. The church is to forever be transformed into something new. I guess that means we must embrace change. My interpretation, 
especially if God is going to be up to something, doing something new. Amen? I didn't hear a strong conviction there. Now, I want to be clear, Paul's not addressing individuals here in regards to putting on the armor of God. Not at all. Instead, he's addressing the entire gathered church, the entire gathered community. And what he's saying is the church community is is drawn by God is a place where the world can encounter Jesus Christ. And it's also the agency in which Jesus Christ blesses the world with God's love and grace. You see, at various times throughout biblical history, God shows up to deliver his people. God shows up to rescue them, to ransom them, essentially fighting on behalf of Israel, his chosen nation. However, we see in Isaiah 59, this tradition is turned on its head as we see that Israel has become corrupt practicing injustice and exacting oppression and and violence against the people that God has called them to serve. In other words, Israel has conformed to the world and has become just as cruel as the world. God therefore comes in judgment to his chosen people to wage warfare, spiritual warfare, against them. And when he does, God puts on his own virtues his own armor. Isaiah 59 says this, that the Lord saw it and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one and was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm brought him victory. His own righteousness upheld him. He put on the righteousness like a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head, and he put on garments of vengeance vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in fury as in a mantle according to their deeds so he will repay wrath to his adversaries requital to his enemies to the coastlands he will render requital so those in the west shall fear the name of the lord and those in the east his glory for he will come like a pent-up stream that the wind of the lord drives on just as god had waged warfare in the past to vindicate his name to rescue his people or to judge his people so now god wages warfare against the powers of the church because they have conformed to the corrupted nature of the world coming back to our text in ephesians paul casts the church as the very presence of god calling it calling us to draw Uh, or to don those same very characteristics of God, to become the divine warrior and to carry out the cosmic conflict against evil powers, oppression and trials of this world. Breathe easy, my friends, because here's the truth. God has already secured the victory over evil through the power of the resurrection. But what remains is an ongoing power struggle or battle over the lost. You know, those who don't know Jesus yet? Those who God seeks to reclaim and rescue. The people the world has cast aside because they serve no purpose or have no intrinsic value. There's no return on their investment, in other words. Yet Paul's rhetorical close to Ephesians calls the people of God to put on God's own virtues. 
because the church now plays the role of the divine warrior in the world. You know, the funny thing is, historically, the church, the church has had a really bad record of doing this. Think of the crusading, overlooking injustice, or even covering it up. In some cases, causing oppression, treating people in ways that are directly contrary to the character of Jesus. I mean, think for a moment. Can you imagine the lady that tried so desperately just to get a glimpse of Jesus, longing for healing, longing to be rescued, thinking if I could only just touch the hem of his cloak, his robe, that would be enough. And having to hear from his disciples, wait your turn, lady. Your number hasn't been called. You know what I'm saying? You know the story? Or how about this? The reaction of Jesus when the disciples tried to keep away the little children that were trying to come to Jesus. And Jesus acting in a way like we, we, we tend to read a nice calming voice. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Like, if I were Jesus, aren't you glad I'm not Jesus? I would have said, you bunch of knuckleheads, get out of the way. It's, it's playtime. Let him come. After all, he did say that we must become like children in our faith, did he not? Or how about the need to feed a hungry mob, right? And the disciples were more worried about what was going on with their own Wallets, who was going to pick up the tab as opposed to carrying out the immediate need that was right in front of him. Jesus' response was not only to feed them physically, but feed them spiritually as well. You get it, right? Do I need to give you some more examples? Or are you with me? Because if you don't say nothing, I'll keep going. Okay. It's the church's role as the divine warrior to become a rescue station. A life preserver thrown out to the drowning. A place of saving grace where, where we are to resist the practice of exploitation, de- uh, injustice, and oppression. Trust me, Paul is writing and saying that the world offers enough of that already. Our warfare and our role in it involves resisting the temptation of those influences and transforming corrupted practices and replacing them with life-giving patterns of conduct that draw on and radiate the resurrection power of God. Amen? Our warfare involves purposely, purposefully growing into communities that become faithful corporate representations of Jesus Christ here on earth. It's not our job to defeat the powers of the evil age. God's already done, done that in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the contrary, the church is called to inhabit the victory that God has already won. In other words, we as a church are called to live out a resurrected life, one filled with joy, one that the world can take notice of. We are called, just like Israel, to be a light upon a hill for all to see, to radiate God's love to the world. In Isaiah, we see Israel had compromised its holiness 
And instead of being agents of peace and justice, they had conformed to the world. And as a result, they failed to be agents of redemption to the very nations that God was trying to save. God sought to redeem the nations through Israel, but his plans were frustrated and complicated by an unholy nation. So God's action as a divine warrior helped put Israel back on track, back on course to open their eyes to the purpose of being a nation set apart. And for us, through the gift of Jesus Christ, we are to realize that the church is called to be God's holy people, the place where all humans are valued and treasured because they matter to God and they're made in the image of God. We are, when, where we compromise our holiness, however, is when we value people primarily for what they can bring to the table. You know what I'm saying? It's not what's in it for us, in other words. You know, we all do well to advertise our opposition to the hot topics of today. But my fear is, in our opposition, we tend to lose our holiness because we fail to be active agencies of redemption in our local cultures. We lose our holiness when we get caught up in culture wars, political wars, and even worship wars. We fail to perform our role as God's holy people when we align ourselves with one side or another. I mean, think about it for a moment. God so loved the world that he gave his only son for both Republicans and Democrats, whites and blacks, reds and yellows, gay and straight, traditional and yes, even contemporary. Quite honestly, we're called to perform the same role of Jesus in the world, reaching those who don't matter to the world, but who matter deeply to God. To love those who may not have any social capital, to love those who may not grant the church prestige whatsoever. We're called to radiate God's love to the marginalized. How? you might ask. Thank you for asking. I uh, alluded that one of my passions is Kids Hope Mentor, mentoring program. And as a former Kids Hope mentor, one of my students, a second grader, was from a broken home. So this is the life of this second, second grader. One week he would spend with his, parent, his father where there was no rules, no authority, he basically could get away with murder. The following week, he would spend with his mother, who was a, um, a disciplinarian in a physical way, in a, in a shouting way, right? Can you imagine being a second grade, a second grader having to move from one place to another week after week not having any stability in your life. And so I step into the role as his mentor. And for one hour a week, every week I show up and I become the steady calm in his life, the constant in his life, becoming Jesus in his life. That's what the church is called to do. Did we 
receive tithes or offerings from that second grader? No. Could he bring anything of value other than himself to the church? I doubt it. But he mattered to God, and therefore he mattered to me. You see, when the church performs the role of the divine warrior, it has the same social impact and effect that Jesus did. And here's the challenging part for some. According to Ephesians 4, 17 through 31, the church performs the role of the divine warrior best by cultivating a dynamic of constant transformation. Gosh, I think what Paul is saying here is the church is willing to adapt to change. The change that the church is actually willing to be an agent of change. That we can change. Hmm. We become increasingly faithful at being Jesus in the world when we embrace what Paul is teaching us. God's people must constantly be involved in becoming more and more like Christ and more and more the presence of God in the world. I wanted to read Ephesians 4.21. So you're not just taking my word for it, right? But 4.21 says this, For surely you have heard about him, Jesus, and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with a new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Does that happen like that? No. It's a continuing transformation. It's a continuing change in us. Paul gives a series of examples of the transformation in Ephesians 4:25 through 32, and I will trust that you can look that up on your own to put off falsehoods of this world and cultivate the habit of speaking truth. This renewal way of thinking causes us to realize how connected we really are, that we ought to love one another, that we ought to serve one another, trust one another, one another so that we can be one in ministry with each other to the world. Nothing is more harmful than to be in mission or ministry with someone who doesn't believe in what they are doing, or worse yet, doesn't see people they are serving as those who matter to God. I think I shared this story before, uh, maybe the first opening sermon. So if you were here uh, but were asleep, you get to hear it afresh. Uh, And if you weren't here, you get to hear it afresh. So... I was at a Royal Family Kids Camp, and and it was my first year there, our first year of the camp, actually. And um, somebody in their divine wisdom decided to make me a camp counselor, which meant I had two boys under my care. And so we had built a relationship uh, with the boys, and come Thursday night, usually that's when all the meltdowns happen. And the boys start uh, realizing that they're going to have to go home, and they don't want to, but they don't know how to express it, so they, they simply act out. 
And I had one boy that was throwing a temper tantrum, and he kept screaming, I want to go home, I want to go home, I want to go home. And an adult, another counselor in the room, said, well, don't worry, you'll get your chance tomorrow because you're going home tomorrow. You see, in that, in that moment, in that moment, that child did not matter to him because he wanted to go home just as bad as that child did. And when that child heard that he was going home tomorrow, he looked at me, tears starting to stream down his face. Is that true, Mr. Christopher? Is that true? Am I going home tomorrow? And it broke my heart to say, yes, you are. And then he changed from, I want to go home right now, to, I don't want to go home. I don't feel love at home. I only feel love here. Can I please just stay here? The bottom line is this, folks. The power of God among us works to change us into people who relate to others without an agenda, hidden or otherwise. You see, God empowers us to serve without an agenda. God empowers us to give without an agenda. God empowers us to be Jesus in the world without an agenda. And God empowers us to love without an agenda. You see, it's not our job to force our agenda onto others or the world. It's not even our job to transform others or the world. Not at all. It's simply our calling, our charge, our responsibility, our job to live out a transformed life. And when we are called to do that, and we are called to do that collectively as the body of Christ, the church here at Willoughby UMC, we are to put on collectively the full armor of God, the attributes of God, the love of God, the, and to become the divine warrior for God, to be his divine warrior and to be a rescue station for the world. And when we do, I guarantee you, people will notice. People will be drawn in. People will, will want to reach that life preserver that we're throwing them. So I ask you this. Are you ready, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are you ready to don the full armor of God and to be Jesus to the world? Are you? Let us pray. Now, gracious and loving God, thank you for modeling us for us how to love the world how to be your hands and feet, how to, how to put our agendas aside and, and just see people as you see them, chosen and made in your image. Help us to be a rescue station, not to seek to transform others, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and the love that we have for you. Help us to live a transformative life as this community you call church. To be that rescue station that draws people in. Help us to have the eyes to see all those that matter to you. And help us have the hearts to respond to the needs of our community. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like to contact the church for more information or to speak with one of our pastors, please call us at 440-942-9068. Background music for this recording provided by bensound.com.